You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. How is everybody doing today? All right, that was pretty solid. Good morning. Hey, uh, it's a good old, one of them good old light Sundays here, and I know it's a church plant. I know that you know about it between, you know, Memorial uh, Day weekend, so some families out on a, on holiday and um, COVID, so some families out of society just in general at the moment, you know, that, how that goes. Uh, but, you know, what I want to encourage you to do is even despite that, right, don't, like, I want to encourage you to kind of stay focused, right, stay focused, because even now, right, Lighter Sunday, still in a school, right, all X, Y, and Z, uh, we still actively believe that God wants to meet us here, and so we're going into our time of worship, but we're going to go into the sermon, but before we do that, I really want to, like, encourage you and, and remind you to stay focused, right, like, to stay focused in this moment, yeah, like, we, we uh, kids is closed right now, because, like, most of the volunteers got COVID, um, but at the same time, right, like, you're going to hear some kids you're going to hear, like, some of that. You're going to have a, a lighter crowd. Man, don't let, that, don't let that overtake you, right? Like, like, stay focused in this moment to know that even despite all that, God has moved in far weirder context than that in his time. Uh, and, and because of that, he desires still to meet you and to know where you are and who you are and what you need and, and, and what's going on in your life right now and how he's going to meet you there in order to just, just uh, change you, to love you to meet you here and to do the work that he, to continue to do the work in you that he desires and longs to do. And so with that, uh, I wanted to just remind you of that, but wanted to go ahead and jump in uh, as, again, we continue our time in worship. But before I did, uh, I do want to just give us a little bit of encouragement, uh, and, and I felt a little bit compelled to do this earlier this week because I know that um, over the past couple weeks, I don't need to remind most of you or to tell most of you kind of like some of the current events that have taken place. Uh, right. Obviously, what we're talking about is about uh, 10 days ago. Uh, no, that was more than 10 days ago now, but uh, a couple weeks ago, you had uh, a shooting in Buffalo at a local supermarket, and that one was fueled by what appeared to be just racist uh, feelings and views. And then there was a, a shooting at uh, an elementary school in Uvalde, obviously. Uh, motivations of that are still a little bit unclear. Uh, and I know these, these events have really kind of spurred on uh, conversations about uh, how to respond to that. And so different people have different views on how to respond to that. And hear me, what I actually want to say is that those are actually really good conversations that you should probably be thinking about. If at any point in time you're looking at your uh, timeline, where that's online, you're hearing your friends, and they're having conversations about this, and you're like, man, I wish I would just leave this alone. I don't think that's the right feeling to have. In fact, I would say that's the wrong feeling to have because you should be looking at some of these things and saying like, man, I, I want that to not happen to people. Right, and, and so you should be actively thinking about, well, what would a proper good solution be? But in that, I, I want you to know that it's a good thing to desire to have those conversations while at the same time knowing that there's a wrong way to have good conversations, right? If, if those conversations that, that you hear and that maybe you're going to engage in are anchored in anything beyond God's compassionate, loving, and, and, and justice-minded heart at the center of it, you're going to find yourself in weird, horrible, frustrating, and probably hurtful conversations. Or you're going to be overly crushed by things that other people say when, when really the thing that, that we need to be anchored by is like deep compassion and longing for justice. And so here's the thing. 
I'm not here as, as a pastor to be like, here's your political view. I don't think that's right. Uh, I personally feel like each political view has probably elements of who God is in it. Um, and they also, each one has also elements of, of who God is not in it. And really, he gives us those, this variety and diversity of views in order to bring together and to make a collective whole that more represents him without any one space representing him well. So that's not my job to tell you what to think politically. But what it is my job to do is to look at you and say, here's how you should be anchored in these conversations with deep compassion, with some mourning, uh, and with the desire to have those well. And so what I want to do is I know that, you know, maybe some people watch this online later. I don't, well, I don't maybe. I know that's going to happen. But um, right, right, maybe by the time you, you watch this or maybe hearing this, some of those things have already left your mind. I want to bring them back to your mind. Uh, and I want to encourage you to actively be thinking about those things, but, but to think about them in a way that's anchored in deep compassion, in love, in mourning, and, and in a longing for justice. And how I want to do this, I want to simply pray for these people. I want to pray for these people, and I want you to take a second. It's not going to be long. It's not going to be like one of those awkward moments of silencing, because I'm not asking for a moment of silence. I'm asking you to take a moment and go to God and say, help these people. You don't need to be eloquent with it. You don't need to articulate X, Y, and Z words. What I want you to do in this space of 10 seconds that I give you is to simply say, God, help these people. They've woken up without people that they love, right? They, they, they thought the day was going to be normal and it turned completely upside down. If you would look at that and say like, God, I would l hope and wish nothing like that would ever happen to me in that same way, just be like, God, help these people because I can't imagine what that's like. And if you can, then man, like, like root, dive into that sense of compassion. So what I want to do is I want to give you a second to feel that. And then from there, we're going to go into praying for them together. I want you to join me as I pray for them as well. And then we're going to head into our time in scripture. Does that sound good? Okay, go ahead. Father, I, uh, I thank you for our ability to pray for these individuals today. We, we, we oftentimes within uh, greater conversations here, uh, belittling of the idea of like thoughts and prayers. And while I think that thoughts and prayers without any form of, of action is uh, largely dead, I think your own scriptures would say that. that I don't think that's a, a quality response. We know that uh, prayer is a, a good and beautiful response to things. To know that all of the labor of my hands to make things right, it doesn't go as far as a nail pierced through yours to make things right. And so, Father, thank you that we can turn to you and pray that you would be near individuals that are hurting, near individuals that are, that are sad, near individuals whose whole world has changed, and know that you're with them. Know that as the good shepherd, you are, you're, you're walking through those dark valleys with them. And so be near to them. Love them. We pray that you would uh, let them feel um, your nearness, your closeness. And, and though we know that, that that experience does not take away the pain that we experience in this world, we, we also know that, that that is what presses us through in the midst of those dark moments. And so, Father, draw near to them. And for us, fill us with compassion as we hopefully do engage with a bigger conversation about how to respond to those things. Uh, I ask that you would give each individual in this room wisdom, and each individual that's going to be watching this later wisdom, uh, that, that you would allow us to be anchored in compassion and in a longing for justice, but 
but a longing for justice that recognizes your compassion on the families and victims of um, these evil acts, but also your deep compassion on those that have perpetrated those acts. That your pain that people would experience evil like this, but also your pain that people would experience evil and it would drive them to participate and to perpetuate evil. That we would know that you took the cross and laid down your liberty so that those who were oppressed and mourning and hurt could be healed and loved, but also that you took the cross so that those who perpetuate evil could be forgiven. And in that, let our hearts be anchored with deep compassion that longs to see people helped and loved and cared for. And from there, Father, allow us to respond and participate in conversations that are good and necessary to have during this season uh, in a way that produces fruit, good fruit, godly fruit. And that we pray leads to less and less. And and we would pray in a radical way, none of these type of events to happen anymore at all. Uh, We love you and we thank you. We pray these things, uh, placing them in your hands, placing the church and our society in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you all for that. Like I said, I just wanted to try to put it in front of you a little bit to try and help anchor and direct a little bit of probably your world some right now. You're probably hearing some of that. And it's, it's again, good and necessary for you to be talking about and thinking about. Uh, But there's there's just ways that we want to go about that that, that that are, again, anchored and shaped by the gospel. Now, Hey, um, having said that, as I mentioned, we want to jump into our time of finishing up our series entitled uh, Good Shepherd, The Good Shepherd. It's about Psalm 23, but it's called The Good Shepherd, all right? Uh, And so here's the thing. This is actually our last week of this. We've been in Psalm 23 for six weeks, because how many verses are in Psalm 23? You guys are geniuses. That's right. We took a week for each verse. And let me say this, when I said we were going to do that, the amount of people that were like, bro, that's kind of crazy, were like abundant. Let me say, I was met with some skepticism by y'all when I said we're going to go a verse each week and spend six weeks in in this six-verse psalm. But man, over the course of this time, I pray that it's been a blessing to you, uh, because it's been an absolute blessing to me. I have probably not cried and worshipped quite as much preparing for any set of sermons as I have in these six sermons from this series. And I hope that that uh, has been your experience in some way as well, to, that they've led you to worship God uh, and to just, just long to follow him and to be led by him. And so, yeah, this week we're finishing up with verse 6. And uh, verse 6, goodness and faithful love will follow me all the days of my life, right? Those are the words that start verse 6. And I don't know, we just got through praying about something that is deeply troublesome. We just got through praying about something that seems like it seems to not reconcile to the words only goodness and faithful love will follow me all the days of my life. And I wanted in some way to set up that contrast because it's important for us to realize that. Reading the Bible at times is hard. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes you look at it and you're struggling to reconcile it to your world, and that's okay, right? That's all right. But when we dig a bit deeper in this text, and I believe in most texts, if not all of them, we start to see that the invitation is probably not what we originally thought the invitation was, right? And for this specific text in Psalm 23, verse 6, the invitation is not our traditional ideas of blessing, but rather it's this. What is in the wind? What is the wind in the sails of your life? What is the wind in the sails of your life? What presses you forward and never leaves your side. Uh, maybe to put it a better way, what do you rely on when you're dead in the water? I know I, I never been on a I never been on a boat like that, so I'm, I ain't gonna act like I know exactly what I'm saying right now because I don't. But right, if you ain't have a sail, 
and it was just the boat, right? And you're in the middle of an ocean, and you're lost at sea, life of pie style, right? What is it that you're relying on at that point, right? If that's the metaphor of your life, what are you relying on? And here's the thing. Answering that question will really dictate the ebbs and flows of our life. It, it, will, it will answer what we see as valuable and what we see as worthless. It's an important question for us to be asking, right? What are the constants in your life? What do you rely on when everything else seems to fade? And I think this is an invitation. Uh, Psalm 23, 6 is an invitation for us to ask that question and, and to, to arrive at answers that may be surprising and, and hopefully are encouraging. And so what we're going to do is we're going to work through this last verse. We're going to work through two things uh, that God, these last two things. I've used the, the points God provides X, Y, and Z for like almost every sermon in this sermon series. And we're going to arrive at two final things uh, that, that I believe this verse tells us he provides in that sacrificial and selfless way we talked about last week. And the two things are this, that God provides himself. God provides himself. And the second thing is that God provides our destination. Right, God provides himself, and God provides our destination. Let's go ahead and jump in here. We're going to read just verse 6 again, and then we're going to go ahead and start working through it. So Psalm 23, verse 6 says this, Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. All right, so check this out. Let's read this, this verse again, but I want you to read it with me together. Put it back up on the screen real quick for me, Luis. Thank you. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to read this verse with me, and then we're going to think about it together. Ready? One, two, three. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. All right. Now let me get down to business and and explore something that we, we just mentioned. That's a really wild verse. And I want to I wrestle with you and go ahead and put it in front of you. I know that's a really wild verse. Um, at face value, again, these words, they just seem weird, right? Goodness and faithful love. In fact, that verse gets real wild. It says, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. What a crazy thing. And here's the thing. We just got through talking about these tragic events. And you don't got to even look that far in order to start having some, some struggles with this verse, right? You don't even got to look that far. Most of us can just look at our lives and automatically find a struggle that would make reading this verse a little bit challenging. Maybe it's your finances, right? Maybe your finances have been a struggle and you've looked at the face of the financial struggle and the results of it and been like, man, I don't feel like that's goodness and faithful love. Maybe it's your family life. And so maybe you've struggled with either your parents, your children, your siblings, your family around you. And you thought, man, it doesn't feel like goodness and faithful love Right? Maybe it's your sense of purpose. Maybe you look at your life when you wake up every single day and you look in the mirror and you think to yourself, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even really know who I am. And you see a verse like this and go, I don't feel like that's goodness and faithful love pursuing me. Maybe it is your self-perception. Maybe it, it's your love life. Maybe it's a sense of loss that you've taken on recently or maybe even years ago that have shaped you in ways that are really uncommunicable. Right? Like you can't even really put into words how deeply those pains and senses of loss have shaped you and made you into the person you are. And so when you look at a verse like Psalm 23, verse 6, and it says, only goodness and faithful love will follow me, will pursue me all the days of my life. You look at it and you're like, bro, that's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. 
But, all right, but, we got to remember that this isn't, in this instance, a, a literal verse. Meaning, I want to I clue you in on some things about this book that we, we talk about literally every Sunday. And hopefully this book that you read regularly in your life. The Bible is a compilation of works, different works, written over thousands of years that tell one story. The story of God and his creation and this deep love story that he has for his creation. But it's told in different voices and it's told in different styles and it's told from different experiences. Yet it's all inspired by God and given to us to say, here's the story of how I love you. Here's the story of how I care. And the voice that we're reading from today is the voice of an old king, an old king named King David, who's writing a poem about his days as a shepherd, days that are now bringing back to his memory, right, as, as potentially an old man now, thinking back and going, man, that really reminds me of who God is. Really reminds me who God is. Now, why is this important? Why am I giving you a Bible and even, even a semi-literature uh, lesson here? I promise it leads somewhere. Because it's easy to read this and to give it our own meaning. To read this and give it our own meaning and then consequently to hold God accountable for things that that he's not telling you he's going to do. And it's possible to look at this and to start believing that when I start following God, I'll only receive blessings. That'll be the only thing in my life that I receive. And we'll take this verse from a psalm, a psalm that literally talks about going through the darkest valleys. That literally talks about going through what, what old, like what some translations, not old, but other translations will say, the, the, sh- the, the valley of the shadow of death, right? Like what powerful language. And we can easily read this and start to kind of like miss the mark here. And then all of a sudden you're just running from problems that God may have you in in order to work out beautiful things in your life. But you're running from them believing that this verse says something that it doesn't uses a means of escape instead of a means of calling. And it's not because the, uh, the author doesn't know your hardship or, or he doesn't want you going through hardship. In fact, right, we're, we're, we're led to, to understand that there's a tension to be had here because we want to live out a verse like Genesis 50, verse 20, right? And look up on the screen where, where Joseph, now a governor over Egypt, is responding to the same brothers that sold him into slavery several years before. And he says, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. This idea, leave it up here for one second. This idea that there could be planned and planned, the exact same word used in two different places, about the exact same event, about the exact same time frame, that there would be one will that plans for evil and there would be another will in God's will that plans for good in the exact same events and you hold those intentions realizing that this will is greater than that will. Right? We're invited into a verse like Psalm 23, 6 with these type of things in mind, recognizing that this is not making us promises about Um, about prosperity as much as it is inviting us to ask good questions about what it looks like to live life following this good shepherd. And in this part, what David is talking about, because he isn't isn't wanting to use this idea um, of goodness and faithful love, he wants to use it to communicate something very specific. So he's using a literary term uh, called personification. I don't think I put that in a slide. Oh, I did put it in a slide. Look at my man. All right. I remember doing that, but shout out to me a couple days ago. All right. So 
Personification. Can you say it with me? Personification. All right, I was horrible. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm going to ask you one more time. On three, you're going to say personification together. One, two, three. Personification. All right, man, why you do that, bro? Why you do that? All right, no, that was good. Ian had the right mind, but a little bit out of order. All right, so look, we'll give it one more shot because I want everyone to say it with me because it's really important. I'm serious. This is actually an extremely important thing to know about the Bible. Personification on three. One, two, three. Money. All right. Personification. Personification uh, means that he's using something to represent something else, and you see this oftentimes in poetry. Uh, to, to put a personhood, uh, an activity behind something that usually wouldn't have that. A great example is this phrase, time marches on, right? Check this out. Time is what? It's time. You can't even really give me a better definition than that because that is the abstract definition of time. It does nothing besides just move along. We exist in time, and that's it. But in this phrase, what is time doing? It's walking. Time isn't just walking. It's marching. It gives us this vivid look at the idea of time, like like a militant soldier marching in one direction, unstoppable, untouched, I mean unpersuaded, just marching forward like an unstoppable force. And, And the author, right, in that moment wants us to know that's what time is like. Time is just marching forward. You see it also in, in metaphors quite often, right? And I didn't write this one down, I don't think. But you, you have a phrase like, my, my wife is grace in motion, right? When she's taking care of a kid or when she's maybe dancing or something like that. And you can say, my wife, right, is grace in motion. Grace obviously doesn't move. It's an action or, or an attitude. But, but in the sentence, it's moving. It's, it's having a personhood, almost like an identity. And from there, you take that personification and you apply it to my wife now. And now I'm saying the words, my wife is like grace in motion, man. When she's handling a four-year-old girl who's going on 15 and my son who's a wild man. She is grace in motion, let me tell you, about it. And so, so these are ideas that take something, or this idea of personification is, is an idea that takes something and gives it character. And that character then gives way to teaching us something about someone or something. And in this case, it's goodness and faithful love that's being placed into this person, uh, this, this personification, right? It's goodness and faithful love that, that's being personified. Because what, is, what are goodness and faithful love doing in this text? Put it back up real quick, bro. Good, I heard someone say it. What are they doing? They're pursuing Right, goodness and faith. No, I'm sorry, the, the one Genesis, I mean, sorry, Psalm 23. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me. And so now goodness and faithful love are pursuing us. They're pursuing David. And here's the thing. Here's what David wants us to see in a text like this. And here's why it's important. Here's why I just spent like 15 minutes giving you this weird poetry liter- literature exam, right, uh, our lesson, because it's not pointless. What David wants us to see is that the one who is goodness, not the one who resembles goodness, but the one who is goodness, right, that the one who is faithful love, not the one who resembles faithful love, but, but the origin and definition of faithful love, that the one who, who is goodness and who is faithful love, that he is the one that's pursuing me. He is the one that's pursuing me. 
through every season of my life, whether it's a painful season, whether it's a peaceful season, whether it's a successful season, whether it's a tiring season, through peaceful waters, the darkest valleys, mountain pastures, the good shepherd is in all, always is in pursuit of me. Through every life experience, right, when I'm happy, when I'm sad, when I'm hurting, when I'm at peace, when I'm scared, when I'm what, when I'm what Psalm 23 describes as cast down, the good shepherd is always in pursuit of me. He is, that pursuit is what presses me forward. That's the constant of my life. Like a shepherd in every season of his flock's life, actively pursuing them, guiding them, loving them. And then when they stray off, he goes and finds them and brings them back. Is the same way this God, this good shepherd of my life, pursues me in every season and in every moment and in every experience and in every emotion. He pursues me when I'm lonely. The good shepherd pursues me with care and attention. When I'm hurting, the good shepherd pursues me with healing and with care. When I'm happy, he pursues me with celebration and with joy. When I'm mourning, he pursues me with hope and with encouragement. And when everything else fails, when everything else leaves, when everything else is gone, the good shepherd remains. He remains there pursuing me. All the days of my life, every single day, no matter where I go, no matter where I am, he stays pursuing me one day after the other, one second after the other, one experience after the other, all the days of my life, he keeps pursuing me. Friend, I, I, I think I, I want y'all to hear this, and I, I'm making a really big deal about it because this line isn't a throwaway line. This line isn't like, oh, here's some encouragement. Here's like a nice thought. This line is the type of line, right? This, this truth is the type of truth that you grab onto because when you fail and you think to yourself, God could never come get me out of this. I've messed up time and time again. I've ruined my life. Maybe you've made decisions that have fundamentally changed the direction of your life in ways that you regret to this day. He's still pursuing you. Right, Maybe pain has overtaken you in ways that you struggle to communicate and share. He's still pursuing you. Maybe you've run from him time and time and time again. He's still pursuing you. Maybe you said, man, that's just like Christianity is dumb. Like I, I don't even necessarily believe that stuff. He's still pursuing you. This is a radical thought once we begin to understand that, that the shepherd has guided the sheep through, through peaceful waters, through green pastures, into the mountains, into pleasant places, into the darkest valleys. And now, finally, as we're going to see in a second, is guiding the sheep home. And in every moment, he pursued them and cared for them. Goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. Friend, can I ask you, are you turning to him today? Right? Are you acknowledging his presence today? In the midst of the things that are going on in your life, are, are you turning to find comfort in the shepherd today? Does his rod and his staff, as we've read through this verse, standing out in the midst of the dark valley, are, are, are those what you run to? Do you seek his arms? Are you feeling the weight and joy of his celebration when things are going well? Do you rest in the calm of his peace in every season, friend? This is what I'm trying to get at. He's with you. The invitation is to recognize that he's with you and to draw near to him, to love him and to be loved by him. Like the constant 
dance between a shepherd and his sheep. That's the invitation of words like goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. Uh, this uh, reminds me a bit of uh, just this week in my life. A lot of y'all know about my week. Uh, if you didn't know, and most of you probably wouldn't, uh, you know, Friday was my birthday. I, uh, I turned the ripe age of 32. I told someone to text me, an older gentleman, he's like maybe in his 50s. He was like, oh, you, you might as well be 24. And I was like, man, brother, I don't know about that. I'm 32, and 32 feels like 31, except for with more inflammation and more arthritis. That's all I, that's all I know. And so uh, leading up to Friday, though, on Thursday, I was sitting at a coffee shop, and I was working. I was working on the sermon series that we're going to do after the next one that we're going to do. Uh, and I was excited about it. Just throw it out there. Uh, and it was at that coffee shop on Thursday where it seemed like everything started going haywire, right? Um, my wife called me, and first she was like, hey, I got to tell you. And I knew she was beating around the bush, and I was like, it's going to be bad. And she was like, I just got to let you know, yesterday we were with some friends. We were with a friend, and uh, they have COVID today. And so uh, we were around them inside for several, several, uh, like a decent amount of time. And so, you know, we're supposed to quarantine now. So all the plans that we made tomorrow for your birthday, we're going to have to change those. And so X, Y, and Z. And I was like, oh, right? I was like, gosh darn it. Uh, and then it kind of like spurred up that like I hate COVID feeling that we all have. But I just did it like times 10 because I was like, this is my birthday. And so I was angry. And then I let it go. And I was like, all right, whatever. Like, you know, it's not that bad. We'll reschedule it for next week. Uh, blase, blase. But shortly after that, she called back and she said, hey, uh, Spanky, who is... Uh, our 13-year-old Beagle, she was like, he just had this weird little thing that he, he like, shaked really hard. And I was like, that's weird. And she was like, yeah, it was weird. He seems a little tired now, but I'll keep you updated. And so I said, okay. Uh, and then about 40 minutes passed by, and she called back again and said, hey, um, it happened again. He shook really hard, and now he seems even more tired. So I started getting a little bit worried, so I pack up my things, and I go home. And by the time I get home, Spanky is in, like, a full grand mall seizure, right? A man's foaming at the mouth. He's just constantly barking. Um, and so uh, we tried to call around to find an emergency vet for a minute, and apparently that is, like, impossible. And so I called Celeste Cleveland, who's right back there in the corner, who works at a vet, and she helped us out by getting us into her vet clinic. And when he came in, he was still, like, going crazy. And so they gave him a heavy sedative, and it calmed him down. And then we got home, and he slept through the night. They said this sedative is going to have the homeboy out, like, till tomorrow, right? And the next day, we woke up, and he was kind of, like, still, like, catatonic. He just kind of looked out of it. Until later that evening, uh, around 6.30, uh, on my 32nd birthday, right, he died. And I got that dog when I was around 19. And so for... 12 to 13 years, he's been like one of the constants of my life, right? And I've ebbed and flowed as a dog owner uh, in terms of the quality of my ownership. And I'll even go so far as to say I may have ebbed and flowed in the amount of like the amount that I've loved that dog, right? But he was one of the constant things in my life for the better for over a decade. And just like that, he was gone. And let me say this, I have been way more sad than I thought I was going to be, way more sad. I've constantly looked around the house and constantly think I see him, and then I just get really sad. 
Yet it has been an extreme comfort over the past two days to look at this constant thing for the past 10 years that is now just gone and to read words like, but the good shepherd pursues you all the days of your life and recognize there is another greater and even more beautiful constant that is still there and will never leave, will always be with me, will always comfort me all the days of my life. Friend, what constants in your life feel like they've shifted? What major things in your world do you feel like life is never going to be the same without? I don't mean to tell you that and to ask that question, to belittle the, the, the constants of your life, the things that have shaken and moved that you feel like life is never going to be the same without, but rather to point you toward the direction of this good shepherd that says, I know, I know, but I'll never leave. I will pursue you in every season. And when the next season comes and it feels lighter and it feels better, I'll still be there. I'll still pursue you. And when the next season comes that is painful, I'll still be there. I'll still pursue you all the days of your life. Man, what a beautiful promise we have in the words, when everything else fails, when every other constant leaves, only goodness and faithful love. Only that you can count on to have pursued you all the days of your life and for eternity forward. What incredibly good news, friend. And it's because of that statement that the next point can be true, right? Because he um, provides himself. And when he says, I will pursue you all the days of your life, that's precisely why we know that God provides our destination. Right? Our last point, that God provides our destination. Um, the last part of that verse says, uh, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's the thing. We've talked several times now about the, the different seasons that the shepherd would go on with the sheep, right? As they set out at the beginning uh, of, of the year, they would pass from their own home pastures, and they would walk by the, the green pastures and the, the peaceful waters, and then they would start going up into the mountain once summer came, and some would become cast down, and the shepherd would have to restore them. And then they would finally, uh, as they got into the mountains, would have to go through the dark valleys and, and finally up into the green pastures of the mountain where they would feed through the summer and through the fall, and that's where God would, or that's where the shepherd would prepare the table for them. And finally, as, as, uh, fall begin to, to end and winter would begin to press in, the, the shepherd would finally then begin to take the, the flock back down the mountain until they, they started as winter came to, to close back in. And finally, after a whole year, the shepherd would have taken the flock through the fields, up into the mountains, from the green pastures, back down the mountains, and finally back home. I'm telling you, man, Psalm 23 is a banger of a poem once you know what's actually happening in the poem. And this is where we end our time. This is where Psalm 23 ends. That after the seasons of life, the high points, the low points, the difficult times, the joyous times, the times you, you remember, the times that you wish you could forget, right? 
in every one of those seasons, the shepherd has said, I will never leave your side. And because of my presence, I promise you, I'll make, we'll make it home. We'll make it home. Man, but I keep messing up. We're going to make it home. Man, but I've gone through so many hard things. We're going to make it home. Right? But, but man, I'm scared. We're going to make it home. Man, but I, I keep running. I got this big staff, you know. And every time you run, I'm going to put that bad boy around your neck. I'm going to yank you back, and then we're going to make it home. It's, it's because of the lifelong presence of the shepherd that the sheep can declare, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, as long as I live for the rest of my days. This is a beautiful set of words because David doesn't say, my obedience will pursue me the rest of my days, and I will make it back to God's house. David's language doesn't say, man, good fortune will, will always mark my life and will always make a way for me to get forward and to make it back to God's house. Man, I, my, my riches, my success, my accomplishments will, will pave the road forward, and I will make it back home, right, to the Lord's house. David recognizes when I am old and when I am staring fate, mortality and eternity in the face, and I look back and doubt and fear enter my mind because I think of the countless times I've run, the countless times I've failed, the countless times I've been hurt, the countless times I've hurt others. And a life worth of ups and downs is presented before me. He recognizes goodness and faithful love are still by my side. And because he is with me, I will make it home. I will enter into the glory of my father's house. And he will welcome me, not because I as the sheep made it through the seasons, but because he as the shepherd guided me through them in every moment of my life. Friends, this is why words, Jesus' words are so powerful in a text like Matthew 28, 20, where at the end of the verse, after sending out his disciples, this is the, the great commission for y'all that know, he says, and remember, I am with you till the end of the age. Remember, I am with you until the end of the age. It makes a lot more sense of the verse we read last week, where in John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, the beauty friend that we're brought right back to. Uh, when we hear Jesus' words like that is the beauty of Psalm 23. That it is the shepherd that goes through the dark valleys. That it is the good shepherd that allows himself to be cast down so that other cast down sheep could be restored. That it's the shepherd who is abandoned by goodness and faithful love so that we who uh, have been separated from goodness and faithful love could, could have the promise that it will never run from us. Also, that like the shepherd in Psalm 23, the good shepherd can say, I'm with you until the end comes. Until all the days of your life, I will pursue you. I am with you. Friend, that's our hope. That's our hope. The good shepherd is our hope. Because when everything else fails, he continues to pursue. And he, through his presence, guarantees that we'll make it home. 
That's why when we read Psalm 23 and then we hear Jesus saying things like, I'm with you until the end of the age, I'm, I am the good shepherd, it, it brings us back to reevaluating words like goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Because this Jesus made a way. Because this Jesus made these words more than just words on a page, but truth in our lives that we cling to. <laughs> I love that sound, man. That's like my favorite sound in the whole world. <laughs> uh, right through this Jesus, let me tell you, even death has lost its sting. Right? It's why when Jesus says things like, you're going to have trouble in this world, but, but take heart, be courageous, I've overcome the world. All these different phrases that we've linked back to over the past several weeks that Jesus gives out, and they seem like little like nuggets of encouragement. There's so much more than that. There's so much more than that because he's so much more than an encourager. He's the good shepherd that has laid down his life for the sake of the sheep that we would never be abandoned and that we would be guided home all the days of our lives. That's, that's the point of the whole sermon series, is not to make you look at Psalm 23 and say, man, this is encouraging, but to make you look at, at Jesus and say, God, you are the good shepherd of Psalm 23. You have guided me, and you will be with me. You have gone through the valleys before me, and you were cast down so that I could be restored. Now it is you who's with me until the end of the age, and it is you who've laid down your life for the sake of my life. Father, it is you, and I will follow you all the days of my life. And it, you will never stop pursuing me, and then I will end in eternity with you forever because of your faithfulness, not because of mine. What incredibly good news Psalm 23 brings us when it invites us to the feet of the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sake of the sheep. I don't know what season you're in, friend. I don't know where you are in life. I don't know if you're in a good time or in a bad time or somewhere in between. I don't know if you're scared. I don't know if you're doing well. But what I do know is that if you call this good shepherd your Lord, if, if you follow him, he's never not pursuing you. He's pursuing you now. He's with you now. And here's the thing, friend. If you're scared that he's not with you, he's a choice away. That's what makes it even more encouraging. He doesn't say, get to the mountain and the shepherd will be there. He says, I'm guiding the sheep. He's a choice away. He's, he's already entered into your story by the sheer means of you sitting in this school building right now. He's a commitment away. And here's the thing. If you want, if you want to get right, if you, if you're, if you have that, that feeling of insecurity and you're like, man, I, I want to know that he's there, then, then I want to encourage you. Take that step toward the shepherd. The shepherd will meet you. The shepherd will guide you. The shepherd will draw close to you. And if you don't know how to do that, man, I'm going to be sitting right there. In like about two minutes, you feel free to come holler at me, and we will talk about it. We will pray, and you can find rest in the shepherd today. For all of us, regardless if we feel distant from that shepherd, we feel near to him. I want to encourage us to take these words with you and store them in your heart. For the past six weeks, we have just, we have just, 
gloated about the provision of God in every season of life. We've talked about the presence of God in every season of life. And so I want you through this time or after this time to know that the good shepherd is with you and, and, and really to start indulging on that truth in your life. So that you know when you're reading the Bible, it's not about just reading fun facts about God. It's about connecting with the good shepherd that's present pursuing you in your life now. That when you go to pray, it's not just about saying, oh God, can you change this or that? It's taking time to recognize I know that you're here. And I know that I haven't known that. I know that I've forgotten it. But I've taken this five minutes of my day to connect with you because I know that you've never left me and that you never will. It's not going to church to just sing some songs or to learn about a couple of texts. It's to say I want to come here to honor and worship the good shepherd who's worthy of my praise because he's never left me. Right? I, I want you to take these words and these ideas to store them in your heart and to live the rest of your life knowing that no matter where you go, whether you're at this church until the day you die or whether you move to, you name it, insert your Timbuktu, Right, like, like that he's with you every step of that way, in every season and in every moment, each second. It's the shepherd that's guiding you and giving you life. Friends, meet him, treasure him, value him, love him, as he's already loved you. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.